Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm Justin Poole, and joining me, my co-host, John Duke. You can follow us on Twitter, at CSL underscore Tweet Live. I'm at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke, and the entire CLNS Radio network, at CLNS Radio. John... I am just going to toot my own horn, 2-1, and one, the loss to the Bulls. I am a predictions specialist the last six months. Yeah. You're <laughs> you a predictions specialist. Do you like that? Is. I mean, nobody's ever used that before. <laughs> hey, nailed the Jalen Brown pick. Nailed this week. Second, the, the, the struggles of the second unit. And the inability to kind of see that transition, although that was with Marcus Smart in the fold, but certainly it's been exacerbated since that point. It's coming up all aces for you, man. I, I'm telling you, I'm a predictions specialist. Coin the phrase, put a trademark on it, package it, signed, sealed, delivered. Come to Celtic Stuff Live where we predict the future and you don't have to watch the games. No, you know what I loved about this week was – Brad Stevens showing, I know we saw it a little bit in preseason, but I am loving the snark. I am loving the sarcasm. And he has definitely established himself in the league enough now where he's really giving it to the refs too. He's not afraid when he, when he calls it like he sees it. There's no passive Brad Stevens anymore. He has come into his own. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I think last night was, Probably an extraordinary circumstance. Not unlike the first time he got a tech. I mean, <laughs> there's no reason. I mean, that, some of the calls last night were really bad. It was early in the season for the referees as well. And, you know, that's just, that's going to happen. But partly the, we saw this a bit the other night, uh, a little bit against, against the Nets. I think a little bit more against Chicago and, and then certainly quite a bit here against Charlotte where they're calling this foul. On, on, as, as you're fighting through a screen. And so for the Celtics, with guys like Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart, that's a huge deal. If you don't allow those tenacious defenders to get around picks to, to go to, uh, you're gonna be, it's gonna hurt the team dramatically. That, that's, that's kind of the bet, the bread and butter. Right well, we've there. already seen it hurt them. I mean, that, that, their perimeter defense, what has typically been a strength with guard play and, to your point, guard defenders. And it will improve when Marcus Smart comes back. Obviously, he's one of their best defenders, especially as they transition into that second unit, as we just talked about. But that that is one of their biggest strengths. It's been perimeter defense. You start to take that away, and teams are going to be able to get into the paint on them, and the high pick and roll is definitely going to cause them some trouble. The only good news of that is that, the other teams have to deal with it too, and likely Brad Stevens will figure out a way to use it to his advantage. And when you look at a guy like Avery Bradley going off Saturday night against Charlotte for 31 points, and I do like the way that they've kind of gamed the rebounding department to get the numbers a little bit better. Bradley's athleticism, his leaping ability, and then the way that they're uh, they're boxing out the bigs and allowing the guards to get some rebounds. They're doing that intentionally. But when you look at, at Bradley's scoring... 
if he if they figure out how to use that to their advantage, it's only going to give him more opportunity to knock down three pointers. And boy, does his shot look sweet right now. It does, but you know, on top of that, he's not. It's it's not just. I mean, the shots definitely setting everything else up. But he's he's going to the rim. He's he's making decisions. He's doing things that really look make him a complete player. I mean, he was the best player last night. Isaiah was great, unquestionably, yeah, unquestionably. But the best at both ends too. He was the best defensive player last night. He was the best offensive player last night. He was he owned that game last night. And you know that happens, but rarely do you see people do that on both ends. Do you see someone? Really, I hate to do this. This is a Celtics theme podcast. Uh oh. Longtime listeners know how I feel, but it's very much like a LeBron esque situation. Obviously, the size is different, but taking control of the game on both ends of the court, just completely obliterating uh, who they're playing. I mean, did Kemba Walker play last night? Like, seriously, he did was, the final sixteen minutes, but not the first thirty-two. And he was on the side of a milk carton. Yep. And amazingly, to your point about Avery Bradley and how he dominated both sides, he's the one that stabilized the second unit, so to speak. Because he was in complete control of that game and the tempo, he was able to go to the bench and Isaiah was able to come into the, come onto the floor. And I thought the rotations in the second half were truly interesting. Look at Jordan Mickey finishing the first half and then all of a sudden getting a lot of run. Terry Rozier made a nice play, knifing through two defenders and getting an and one, completing it with the free throw. Isaiah struggling a little bit from free throws, but the way that Bradley was able to keep control of that, Brad was all able to take some of his better players and really stagger that rotation. And instead of making this wholesale first unit, second unit thing, they were able to kind of guide that and transition it and mix and match some players. And even more, you know, just as another interesting thing is watching the way that these rotations have developed. Jordan Mickey gets minutes. Then all of a sudden, after a real gaffe in game two against the Bulls of Jalen Brown kind of down the stretch, he moves back over to the three in the game against Charlotte. And you see that, you see Stevens using a more traditional lineup, but there was something about that and Avery Bradley's performance that allowed, especially in the second half, for everything to be way more smooth. Even when they got down by three points, you never really thought that the Celtics weren't in control of that game. Yeah, I think I think Avery Bradley definitely solidified that second unit by coming in there, being someone who's really controlling the situation. They know who to go to. I think that the interesting thing about that, too, is that this is probably a short-term solution, you know, because Marcus Smart probably by the weekend will be back. And then what do you do in that case? Do you keep Avery Bradley? Do you, you know, do you make, bring Marcus in first? And then, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different situations to think about in terms of how they manage this moving forward. But it looks like there may be a bit of a solution in terms of staggering those minutes. Yeah. And like you just mentioned, and we have to just throw Kelly Olinick in there too, because two, Yep. Major mainstays in the rotation, either starting lineup or off the bench, depending on how that all plays out. Because I know there's been a little bit of criticism for how Horford and Johnson are playing side by side. But however that plays out, you got to look at it and say this: this team is really deep. The rotation's got to solidify. But you've got two players. You have to throw Kelly Olynyk in there because hopefully in the next couple of weeks or so he'll start to to get some run uh, on the floor in games and. It, it really is uh, going to be a luxury because they're going to have more players than even is necessary to be able to do all of that. Now, Kelly doesn't bring the defense that Marcus Smart will, but taking the load off a lot of these starters uh, and, and the minutes is only going to make Bradley more effective. Absolutely. I mean, that that's one of those things where if they can get Kelly back, not only does that mean you see less less Tyler Zeller, we see a little bit less Jonas Jarebko, but it allows everyone, the spacing that everyone needs, you're going to see more driving lanes for Terry Rozier, more driving lanes for, for Jalen Brown. Right now, that second unit, it was very clustered until Avery was coming in and raining those threes down on everybody's head. That opened up things for everybody. I think that's really where we're, where we are in terms of that second unit is really the spacing, quite frankly, sucks. <laughs> it so does, we got to find a way to improve that. What do you think about Jordan Mickey? Do you want to see more minutes from him? Yes. I, I know everybody wanted it last season, 
but he actually looked like he was developing some confidence, and that's one of the issues with having such a, a deep bench. How do you get somebody like Mickey Minutes to build this confidence? But I thought with every passing second with him on the floor, he looked better and better. He made some some mistakes in the early minutes in that first, end of the first half when he came in, but as he came back out onto the court in the second half and as he stayed on the floor, it was amazing to watch him grow. I remember Jalen Brown dumping a pass to him, and he sort of went up strong but not strong enough. I think it was two or three plays later, he got another pass. I can't remember who fed him, but he goes right through the lane and throws down the dunk much stronger. Literally, those two plays were night and day. You could just see him growing in his confidence because he probably should have thrown down the first one. It was a really nifty pass from Jalen Brown after Jalen had made a, a strong move in the hole. He drew major defenders and... That's really what's going to make Jalen Brown more effective is dumping that ball off after he draws attention because he's if he doesn't dish, then eventually he's just going to get stuffed every time he goes in there. They'll just adjust defensively. So that was a nice move, but Mickey probably should have gone up stronger and thrown it down, and if he hadn't gotten the dunk, it definitely would have been a foul and he would have been at the line. Yeah, no, that's true. And I, and I think that there's... I think that that he was getting confidence every second the kid was on the court. Mickey was getting better and better and better. And that's that sort of confidence. Now he's got it. Okay, so now the question is after a situation like that. This is this is these are the important things that the young players have to learn. If they don't get the burn in the next game, they need to maintain that fire. And I think with Jordan, you know, it's been a while since he's been a, a real contributor on this team. So if it's not the next game, he's got to be ready sometime to be able to jump back into it. Now, personally, to me, I think it's well, it's, it's hugely important for Jordan Mickey. I think it's also we're at a point where the opening night against Tyler Zeller, against with Tyler Zeller, I should say, he had a good, he, you know, things were going well for him, but not good against Chicago, not good last night against Charlotte, and. You know, I, the best possible situation for the Celtics is to see Jordan Mickey earn Tyler Zeller's minutes right now. Before Olenek gets back, put him ahead of Zeller in the in the rotation. That would be that would be a great situation for the Celtics right there. Because quite frankly, if they trade some, if they trade Tyler Zeller, it's for matching a salary. That's all it is. He, you know, th- th- there's not a whole lot of value there that they're going to get for an eight million dollar player with an expiring contract or with a. With a potentially waivable contract, I should say, uh, for next season. Yeah, it's silly. It was. It would have been silly not to re-sign him. You never know how deep they're going to have to go. But 100%, I think Mickey gets those minutes. It's more like Mickey carves out minutes for his role. And with the rebounding struggles, you got to think that he's somebody who could get out there. He's got the length. He's in really great shape, too, by the way. He's done a really nice job of maintaining what I would consider to be an NBA-ready body. Like, he's strong. As he gains confidence, I think you're going to see him more mobile. There was another play. I think he was sort of on the attack, and I think it was his first shot in the game. He pulled up, in my opinion, too early because he wanted to do that stop and pop, and I think that was actually ill-advised. So as he gets more aggressive, as he uses that length and athleticism to his advantage, I just don't think he realizes how much he actually has. Like, he's done it in the D-League, but it's almost like you watch him and he's expecting the NBA starters to be able to defend him in ways that maybe he wasn't defended in the D-League. I think when he realizes that maybe the separation is not as as gigantic as he thinks it is, and who knows, maybe Amir Johnson and Al Horford have been eating him up in practice, and so he's learning, but he'll adjust. I think he will improve, and I think Zeller's minutes and even a lot of Jarebko's minutes go to Kelly Olenek, but Jordan Mickey provides something very different for this club, and rebounding was definitely a concern in games one and two of the season. Definitely improved, obviously, in the matchup against the Hornets, but I think Brad had a, a joke about this six-hour layover in Chicago where they were their flight was delayed, and he nailed it. I saw Jay King kind of tweeting about it, but he said that, that uh, the Brad quote was right on the money was, uh, I think, what was it? Twenty minutes for every uh, offensive rebound they gave up yeah. against the Bulls. 
That's outstanding. That's freaking outstanding. It really is, dude. I mean, just that's magnificent more that work. Talking about, you know, that's more, you know, that Brad that, you know, willing to lay waste to these guys. Because frankly, here's the other thing, and, and I and I want to get back to your Jordan Mickey point because I think it's I think it's a great one. Um, <laughs> the thing is, they I think personally they came in with a lot of expectations. There's a lot of high expectations about what the Celtics team could be this year. And I think they were reading their own press clippings. I think they were buying into the hype. And I think we saw a lot from Danny and a lot from Brad talking about, you know, because, you know, people say, well, you'll be the top defense in the league. You know, you, you were top five last year. You've added Al Horford, you know. But, you know, both of them said a lot several times here over the last few weeks. Look, you're, you gotta, you gotta, earn that on the court it doesn't this you know winning the pay on paper being the best defense league doesn't matter you actually have to do it and i think my guess and and judging by the way they rebounded which is truly a hustle stat these guys were believing and believing themselves to be better than they actually are believe themselves to be that rather than going out to earn it which is something that they've they had always done you know, they got complacent, and so you needed to kind of slap them back a bit, and that maybe that's that's the reason for it. Either way, it's highly entertaining, no matter what you say. <laughs> well, even his comments about it. the, you know, throwing the ball, just throw it out, you know, just punt it, just punt it. I had a coach once that told me just punt it, you know, <laughs> where – and, you know, absolutely hilarious – he called out the second unit, but not individually. And those are things that, while they were there, he knows the expectations are high as well. And he's not letting these players off the hook whatsoever. Last season, and I know we hear a lot from the players about how positive Brad is, but at the same time, he needs to hold that standard. Listen, we're supposed to go to the Eastern Conference Finals this year, and there's going to be absolutely no wiggle room for you not to perform at your best night in and night out. That's his job. But you can see him applying that pressure and applying that expectation more than he has the last few years, and really rightfully so. It's the situation that dictates it. No, that's right. That's right. It's you. You've, we've all seen player coaches, I should say, take opportunities and really bring the teams down a peg and let their own frustrations kind of seep out and and bleed out into the team in a way where it's not so helpful. Probably Rick Pitino is is the best example of that, you know, locally that we can recall where, you know, he would he was really cutting those guys down and not really preparing them well for what they had to face. I don't think we're seeing that right now. I think you know, we're seeing a situation where the team is you know, needing a little bit of, uh, you know, truth serum, uh, to kind of bounce them out a bit. And I think that's great. I think that's, I think that's a good thing. I'm not, right. I'm not, a, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm not at all surprised to see this. And, and I think it's good for us to kind of see the real Brad Stevens, you know, as it were. I just, I'm hopeful that, you know, as we kind of move forward, he has to use this less and less because they find themselves. It, to me, a lot of it is that second unit. I think, not to say that Kelly Olenek and, and, and Marcus Smart are going to save the day, but I think this team is going to resemble the Celtics teams we expected a whole lot more by the end of, certainly by the end of November, but but even by the end of this week, I think you know having Smart's return will be hugely beneficial, and I and I certainly hope he's healthy enough to play against the Warriors just one week later. Yeah, absolutely. You know what else too is that depth on this roster because the starting lineup is so good they'll be able to weather a couple of injuries here and there as they come up but then to your point when Olenek and when Smarter back and hopefully both can be able to play against the Golden State Warriors when they're back we're going to see what this team can really be during the regular season and maybe there's still need for some pieces you just look at that go-to scorer and I want to go to the Bulls game in just a second because I think that's where we really saw it you saw Dwayne Wade kind of take over and the Celtics really didn't have an answer certainly part of that was second night of a back-to-back um and and also the fact that it was the home opener for the Bulls. So we'll get to that in just a second. Real quick, I just want to tell everybody about Movement Watches. They're a new sponsor with CLNS Radio, and while department store watches start at four to $500, uh, 
the good folks at Movement Watches, and here's the thing. I really love the way the owners did this because, John, you and I have always been sort of pioneers on the Internet, and we did this podcasting thing years and years ago. And it basically was impossible for us to go and broadcast in studio with a regular, uh, you know, uh, broadcast team, et cetera. It would have cost us a ton of money to do our own thing. The Internet allowed us to reduce costs and do something that we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And the Movement Watches guys are the same way. They were in college. They wanted to have a really nice watch, but they couldn't afford it. So they created movement watches. They cut out the middleman. They sell it to you directly. The, the watches are nice. I actually bought a chrono white, black, and tan leather watch. Uh, the, all of the watches start at $95. I think mine was 135 but I used our promo code, which is mvmtwatches.com forward slash Celtics beat. It saved me 15% on the first order. And also, I got free shipping. So just wanted to let everybody know that. It's a nice sponsor. We really like the partnership. We like entrepreneurial spirit around here because, John, that's how Celtics Stuff Live came about. And, you know, I mentioned Celtics Beat is the promo code. So mvmtwatches.com forward slash Celtics Beat. And in that vein, Larry H. Russell, our good friend here at CLNS Radio, uh, Make sure you download the CLNS Radio app for iOS and Android and listen to all the shows. Sam Sheehan and the Scorching Shamrocks were back, John. I was really happy to hear that Sam was back on the mic because I've been missing that Sullivan James Sullivan angst and uh, back and forth. The Neds, the Neds. I absolutely love that show. Uh, so... Good to have Sam back, and I think he's going to be joining us for an interview here in the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, lastly, make sure you're going over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash CLNS Radio, for high-definition, full-length locker room interviews and the Garden Report with Jared Weiss. And we've seen a lot of our good friend Jimmy Toscano on the Garden Report lately as well. It's good stuff. We go way back with Jimmy. Back when I think I think Jimmy was uh, you know out of high school maybe I don't know young Jimmy is he's making big big name for himself he's doing great we love seeing love seeing these guys that we started with who were maybe new on the beat now they're grizzled veterans that you know all the kids are going up to and say gee Mr Toscano how do where do I sit I'm sure that happens I'm sure that happens <laughs> beautiful I don't know if they call him Mister but you know I'm sure they say geez sir. <laughs> <laughs> sir. Oh man, sir. The hey. veteran Jimmy Toscano. <laughs> sir. I love it. Hey, let's talk about the Bulls game because Do we have to. We have to. <laughs> because look at the, listen, the way everybody responded to the Bulls game, it was like all of a sudden this team we've set the expectations too high. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, "Come on, this was so predictable." No. RJ Hunter yeah. signed with the team that day. He didn't get to play, but he signed with the team that day. Rondo is coming back or Rondo is playing against the Celtics now with his new team, the Bulls in Chicago's home opener. Dwayne Wade hates the Celtics. There's bad blood there even though he's also with a new team. At the end of the day, this I, I said it last week, but this was such a predictable loss. It well, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, I think that was that was the toughest of all of them was was the Bulls game. We we talked about that last week on the show, and and there's no question that that was it. I mean, but let, let's let's remember this game for what it was. This was a horseshoe up their posterior. They were making three pointers mm-hmm. like. There was nobody's business, and they are not. <laughs> it certainly wasn't their business. <laughs> exactly. Holy God! I mean, <laughs> Dwayne Wade, who hasn't, you know, who's had a let's see, a, this is the fourteenth year. He hasn't made a jump shot. I don't know how long, and you know, for twenty-three feet, he was twenty percent. He made twenty percent of his three pointers last season, and he only made seven total. Right. No, I ridiculous. Mean, yeah. And you know, it goes to the it goes to the other thing, which is okay, what does that mean about us? Look, the Bulls they play two bigs. I would have liked to have seen Brad go small. I felt like that was that was the counter move was you know what, we're we're getting beat on the boards, let's try something different. And I feel like that would have been the a better way to go rather than try to throw Tyler Zeller out there with you know, with the you know with uh, well Amir or or with Horford, I thought I thought you go small and you just try to spread them out, but he didn't. Okay, that's fine. And he might have if he had Marcus Smart around, though. You almost have well, to wonder. Right. Second night of a back to back, maybe he would have done that had they had 
a day off in between, but this was one of the things from last season. They were really good on the second night of back-to-backs, but that's really not normal. That may have been a statistical oddity for last season, and it even didn't last through the entire year. It was sort of more at the beginning of the season, and and when you looked at all the instability in the rotation, it sort of makes sense that they would be better on the second night because you don't get a lot of practices. With everything being more established, this team having that whole season except for Horford under their belt and knowing each other, I'm not sure that that second night of the back-to-back isn't difficult for this year's version of the Celtics. But to your point, Rajon Rondo hit a three-pointer, Butler hit a three-pointer, and Dwayne Wade all hit a three-pointer. They spaced the hell out of the floor. you got to think that the only reason he didn't come back with more guard play and going small is Marcus Smart wasn't in the lineup, and they probably would have been pretty gassed. Look at even Charlotte in in the second half of Saturday's game. I think they even as Kemba Walker was taking over finally and showing up, I think they they showed being you know their wear and tear on being a second night of a back to back as well. So again, I, I'm not sure he could have counted with the guards because they probably would have ran ran out of gas in the fourth. I I don't know. I don't, I'm not willing to give them that excuse just because so many of these guys on this team were part of the team last year that took the second night of a back to back as a challenge, and I feel like that's. That's part of who they were. They did run into a buzzsaw, so there's that aspect of it. But again, it goes back to the second unit to me. You know, there was, I think, a lot of optimism about the depth of this team. And if you take two players out of a of an eight or nine, ten man rotation, as what you have right now with Smart and Olenek out, that's a problem. But the second half of that problem is that the reason why they are so important in that second unit is that a lot of the guys they're playing with are first or second year players. I mean, that group that at, towards the end of the third quarter is, as Charlotte kind of made their charge back last night, not forgetting about the Bulls game for a second. It was, it was Jordan Mickey. It was Terry Rozier. It was Jalen Brown. I mean, it was, it was a lineup of players who lack a lot of experience and lack kind of, proven much of anything at the NBA level. So you need Olenek and you need Smart to be in there to stabilize that group as the <laughs> savvy veterans that they are three and four years in the league. So I think that against Chicago, going back to that, it was merely a situation where the depth of the Bulls was maybe a bit more seasoned and a bit more prepared for the situation. And the and the youth of the Celtics hasn't yet caught up to us. We're hoping, I, I think personally, in terms of the depth issue, I think we're all hoping that by the time we get to February, March, that these guys, the Rosiers, the Browns, They'll have, they'll have that amongst themselves. You're not going to be a, a veteran by February when you're a 19 year old kid like Jalen Brown, but I do think that he's going to be a whole lot more seasoned and a lot smarter about who he is and what he's been. Even saying that, he's done well. I think that second unit though against the Bulls really was their undoing. Well, all right. So you mentioned Jalen Brown. How much, how much do you, no, really, how much do you how slam hard, him? How hard is it to get you to talk about Jalen Brown? I, I, tr- I try to meter it every week. I really try to keep a gain yeah. on it. But I, you know, plenty of people, plenty of, I don't want to call them lurkers because I talk to them all the time, but I definitely had some Twitter action after Jalen Brown missed that ill-advised, well, didn't get shot clock violation or traveling. Was it traveling? It was traveling. Yeah. Um, that total gaff in the waning minutes, but how much do you rip him for that this early in the season? I think his post play has been good, but he's missed. He's made some real. He made a lot of defensive mistakes. I thought in the Charlotte game, and to your point, it's just going to take experience and time. But a lot of people were like, "Dude, that cost us the game." And then he did not. He was not the first man off the bench in Charlotte, and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with it. And then when he did come off the bench defensively again. He's making some miscues. He got some backdoor cuts on him, uh, not switching over, not staying up on his man. I thought it was good. I think some of that is because he's flip-flopping between the four and the three because he played the three primarily in Charlotte, whereas he was working more of that four spot like he had through the first two games as well in Chicago. But how much do you hammer him for for making that traveling gaffe? Next to none. I, I just I can't get on the kid. I I feel like that's why a lot of the criticisms are early. Remember when we were talking in the preseason, you were worried about the transition, and and I was like, oh, don't worry about it. It'll figure itself out. It hasn't yet, but I I think that I, I see. I don't worry about that yet. I think that this team has to find its way. I think we're 
three games in. I think he's a 19-year-old kid, and I think we're going to see those mistakes for a while. People have to be patient. I mean, if, if folks are expecting him to be, you know, a more athletic Evan Turner, then they need to recalibrate their expectations. He's 19. I mean, he should be a sophomore in college right now. Um, to expect him to be making the right basketball play all the time here and, and not get burned and, and, and – I just I can't do that. I I'm much more forgiving with these kids because the idea is that in the long run they're that much further ahead. And I still think Jalen Wright is a plus. I'd a whole lot rather see him out there than Gerald Green. Gerald, I, I don't get it. I don't. No, I think Green. he's a mess. I'm so with you on this. And just one quick correction: Jalen Brown turned 20 like a week and a half ago. Oh, yeah. However, he was 19 coming in the league. Point well taken. And he needs time to develop. I agree with you 100%. It's interesting that he earned his way into a spot where he could actually make uh, an ill-advised decision that could cost them a game. That just yeah. tells you Brad's faith in him. And he does provide something that they don't have. His ability to attack the basket, his ability to work in the paint, some of those spin moves and et cetera, you're going to have to take the good of the, that with the bad for a while. But nobody else... And I should say, save maybe Isaiah Thomas, but even not to Jalen's level. Nobody on this team can do what Jalen does. And yep. it will, as he improves defensively, he'll have a more positive impact on the offense by being out there. Yeah. You know, it, we, we've seen this a lot where a player will be fine man to man, but in, in the, in a larger sense of playing with teammates and knowing their role and knowing, that just takes time. I mean, no matter how brilliant you are as a kid, it takes time to pick up those those aspects. And I don't think Brandon Ingram's being asked to do these things. I don't think Buddy Heald's being asked to do these things. You're dumping Jalen Brown into the middle of a, of a competitive situation. And I, so I refuse to put him on a different level of expectation than I would those kids. I don't think you can expect him to be there. Now, having said that, do I expect him to be better in February than now? Sure. You know, but see, that's why I don't get, am I frustrated by the Bulls loss? Yes. But that provides an opportunity for learning. That provides an opportunity for Rozier, who came out a lot better last night. I thought he Yeah, really he good. finally settled back you know? in, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mickey stood up, you know? So I don't think Brown had a great night against Charlotte, but I do think he showed some steps forward. You know, it's just going to be it's going to be a process. It really is. I don't want to say trust the process, uh, but but I do think it's a process of learning. And that second unit could be a strength for them come playoff time. Right now, well, and you mentioned liability. Yeah, they are, and they are going to smooth out as Brad tightens it up. Right now, he can't, and as we already mentioned, the return of Marcus Smart and Kelly Olenek is going to help a ton. But you mentioned Gerald Green, and you kind of say, I don't get it. I think his minutes completely go to the wayside when those two players are back. And I think they're going to continue to work to develop Jalen Brown. But even if you just take Charlotte, Gerald Green's going to be the next shooter who can't make, who can't shoot, right? That, that whole RJ Hunter moniker, it's going to, I mean, I'm, it's early, small sample size, but even if you look at Charlotte, he was one for four from the field and 0 for two from beyond the arc. He's had some nice passes. I think I've been somewhat impressed with Green's playmaking ability that I didn't expect to see, especially in that Nets game. But at the, at the end of the day, He's not really bringing a ton, and he makes just as many defensive miscues as maybe a Jalen Brown. The only difference is if you're looking for outside shooting, you're much more likely to put Gerald in than you are Jalen, and and that's and that's fair. And depending on what what the team needs, but keep in mind this was an atrocious three point percentage, uh, three point shooting team. Their percentage was disgusting last season. Early returns on three-point shooting is starting to look pretty nice. Jay, Jay Crowder's getting his shot off a little quicker. Avery Bradley looks good. I think watching those two players in this starting lineup, you just got to go and, and look back to the postseason, and it is so glaringly obvious that not having those two at full strength or at all was a huge factor against Atlanta. Oh, no Huge. Question. No question about More that. More than we yeah. thought at the time. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think you and I were pretty pretty on the nose about that. I mean, I, I wasn't trying to excuse it, but I felt like 
that was that was that made that made uh, made it into a non-series. I think the Celtics win that series in five or six if they're healthy. No matter even, even but but taking that shooting out and having Horford and Millsap on the paint like they did, it was it was very difficult. And and that's another thing. I've got these these folks from Atlanta. They they I'm on their their hot list or something of of Twitter folks who seem to uh, have an issue uh, with Atlanta. I mean. I don't know where they are and how they found me, but for some reason, every time I say something good about Al Horford, it's like, yeah, well, that's why we got rid of him. And it's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, no, that's why he left you. Yeah, well, well, like you know, and they're trying to say, well, that we, you know, glad we have Dwight Howard for his rebounding. I'm like, you want really, you want to be in the Dwight Howard business? That's that was a better choice than Al Horford. Well, it tells you all I need to know about Atlanta, the Atlanta Hawks, and their fans right there. I mean, wow. <laughs> What a bunch of morons. Well, but you know what? Let's dive into the first three games for Al Horford because that's exactly where I was going to go next. Yeah. But after what we saw in the preseason, I'm not sure if he's still sort of finding his way and trying to get players like Bradley and Crowder more involved and to give them their opportunities to shine or if he's just being underutilized. But... I don't want to say, listen, we see all the little things and his impact and he had a three-pointer when he needed to in the game against Charlotte. I'm not criticizing Al Horford. I'm just wondering, and I'm posing this to you, is he being underutilized at this point? Because you almost think, especially in the game against the Bulls, that maybe he could have had more impact on that game. Yeah, I I wasn't too excited about the Bulls game and, and how how he put put forth effort in that game. I felt like he really I thought I thought that Lopez kind of kind of took him out of that game quite a bit. I you know, I, it's a good question though. Is he being underutilized? I think the little things are his thing. You know, I think that's that's a big piece of it. I'd like to see him get more shots. I'd like to see him become a I'd like to see Brad make him be a, a larger part of this offense. Uh, I think he likes to be in that role of the facilitator and and the guy who's making plays for each other and, and supporting team. But on a team that really is lacking a star and lacking a a go other than Isaiah, more go to scorers, it makes it a it really puts more of a burden on him to step up at least a little bit more. Well, that foul looking- trouble killed him too. That it third did. foul just totally took him out of the game, and yep. maybe if there was a Kelly Olynyk on the roster, he could have stayed aggressive without worrying so much. But you could tell he had to take a little bit of a step back because that depth just isn't there. And Amir Johnson only played 15 minutes, but you look against look at the game against Chicago, of all the other starters, Al Horford played the least amount of minutes, and obviously that was relative to, to foul trouble. Then you go to you know, the matchup against Charlotte, and he's still kind of hovering around that 31 minute. They're, I think they're trying to keep him under 32 minutes. I think they're trying yeah. to keep him healthy because he is responsible for so much in the success of this season. But you look at Crowder, played 30 minutes, Bradley 35, Isaiah Thomas 35. So, you know, Horford's kind of more in that Crowder minute zone, that closer to 30, but the depth isn't quite the same as it's there for, you know, the wing position. And they like to go small. I think that's the problem is it becomes more glaring for us because there's nobody behind him who's pushing him at all. I think Amir has not played well to start the season. I, I'm hoping that this is, he's going to shake this off and he's going to go on a run there like he did there in February, March or, or excuse me. It was, it was, was it February, March? When he had his good run, I, what I, my point is, it's it's a thin group. It's a very thin group. And Jordan Mickey, the fact that I'm at <laughs> game three and I'm hoping Jordan Mickey is stepping up to take minutes is not a great sign. We are very thin in the front court. The that the the bigs are not playing great, uh, and. You know, I think Jerebko. Which makes the Bentle thing, I'm sorry, but it just makes the Bentle thing so hilarious. Because yeah. the whole reasoning behind that, all we ever got, and I, I, I still feel like there's an untold story in the background there, but it's just not really all that important in the grand scheme of things, so it's being let go. But that whole thing about, oh, it's just the depth at that, well, not really. There's a, 
a couple of players who have set themselves apart, and then everybody else is kind of a wash. Yeah. You know, th- yeah, there's depth, but I'm not sure that there's you know substantial depth. No, it's it's numbers, but what are we talking about there? I mean, I, I, <laughs> I if there's a trade to be made, there's no question where it needs to be at this point. I mean, if you've got a, you've got an overabundance of players in the backcourt, you have. Not a lot right now in the front court, and, and I think maybe Kelly Olynyk's return will will change that. I'm not in I love with this, Demarcus Cousins, but could you imagine Horford and Cousins in the front court? That that thought has crossed my mind <laughs> quite a bit over the last couple of days. I, I just don't see how you move forward. Um, can you get past? I mean. I don't know if this is gonna. Ha- they're gonna have a strong enough front court to compete with Toronto. That's that's where my my concerns are right now. I I need to see a whole lot more. Kelly's return needs to help. Are you high on on Valanciunas? You say that. Are you high on no. Valanciunas? Not really. Well, because don't I don't know if court I, I can't so. remember. I think it was ESPN, but there was like a a ranking. I wish I could remember which one it was. It was it was before the season started. But they actually ranked Valanchunas ahead of Isaiah Thomas, which I thought was the yeah. most disgusting no. amount of disrespect to an all-star I've ever seen. And not to downplay really Valanchunas. What's that? He barely even got an extension from them. Right, right. Valanchunas. After they lost Bismack. Uh, right. I No. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> I... I there's no way. There's no way. But having said that, outside, I mean, this Celtics front court has just got to play better. They just have to. And I'm not saying the rebounding is their problem. I, I don't think that's a team-wide issue. But they need the pick-and-roll defense has got to improve. Um, it's and, and if you want to put that on the guards, that's one thing. But not from what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the bigs are not are, – yeah, no, I'm with you. The bigs aren't there. They're not making the play. They're not, they're not, they have to kind of do what Kevin Garnett did so well with this team, which is got to clean that up a little bit. And that is Amir Johnson's responsibility. Not that Horford, it's not Horford's because it is, but because he's, I mean, really, Amir's job out there is 100% defense, period, the end. So, all right, you know what? Real quick, we're going to take a break, and then we are going to uh, we're going to hear from our newest sponsor, Audible.com, and then John and I will talk a little bit more about that front court defense and Amir Johnson. All right, John. So we were just talking about Amir Johnson, and I think I closed it out right before a word from Audible.com that Amir's sole purpose is to play cleanup, be the defender. And if they are still struggling with that pick and roll defense, and I don't know, maybe maybe Horford and deserves some of that just because they have to be able to communicate. You know, as I talked about with the old Kevin Garnett days with Kendrick Perkins, that communication was there. They always cleaned it up when the guards failed on the perimeter, and that's really their job. But Amir Johnson very much plays that Kendrick Perkins role in that he is there solely to provide the defense. And Horford has other responsibilities in the offense, and he's got to be rangy. He's the rangier player defensively in the front court. But Amir has got to be there to switch and call it out. He's got to be the captain of the defense. If he's not doing that, you got to start thinking that maybe we're going to see um, we're going to see Kelly Olynyk wind up inserting himself into that starting lineup, which was a big conversation in the preseason. Yeah. Well, you know. I- I agree with you wholeheartedly about Amir. The thing I worry about with Kelly is, you know, I've been reading a little bit more about this, and I guess Avery had that similar surgery, and his shooting was off once he had the shoulder repaired. It took a lot of time for him to get that touch back. So if if he's not going to provide the things that Amir should be doing. Now, if Amir is not able to do that, we're really in a tough situation (laughs) with nobody able to do their jobs, basically. Kelly not providing shooting, Amir not providing the, the defense that we're looking for. Let's hope that the, both those things do happen. We don't have that concern. But I think you're right. I think, I think we could see we could see Kelly slide into that starting role if he is able to hit those shots because right now he is 
Amir has not owned up to that situation, and and he's he's just got to be better. And I think and and if hopefully if he can maybe be li- limit his minutes a bit by Kelly's return, he'll be able to provide a little bit more because that seems to be a real issue for him always is is being able to kind of keep those minutes low, keep the wear and tear in his body low. He's a guy who's who's you know his injury history is is long, <laughs> a long 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 list there. He needs to have a situation to. Go forward and and be healthy for in limited short spells. And he's unfortunately he's not really going to have that opportunity while Kelly uh, is still uh, you know recuperating with the shoulder. Well, that's what I wonder. I'm thinking, you know, does Kelly Olynyk get into the starting lineup because? Well, first off, you talk about you know just getting that. Uh, you know, keeping that three point percentage up. And I don't just mean because Kelly shot at a 40% clip last year. I also mean spacing the floor for the other players who are showing at least early returns on improving the shots beyond the arc as well. And they're, they're hitting those shots. Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder. These are the guys that, that, especially in the starting lineup, they need to be able to hit those. Kelly will only help space all of that out. But do you, but do you want to take the defensive hit? Because there will be uh, not only a hit defensively, but increased responsibilities to Al Horford if you do that. And that was the big debate was, well, you know, a lot of people wanted to see Kelly Olenek in the starting lineup. And I think offensively that will definitely be very exciting. But on the other hand, there will be an impact defensively. And that means if we're already having, asking the question through the first three games is, is whether or not Al Horford's being underutilized, you start putting an increased defensive responsibility on him, at least on the offensive end, we're going to see an impact there. Yeah, there will be a def- defensive impact there. And remember, you know, I ratings his metrics were off the charts last year he's one of the best defensive players on the team if you believe that now i think a lot of that is you know gain deflections and tips and and steal but in terms of a traditional you know big low post big kind of defending and, and protecting the rim that's not really kelly's game uh so there is a bit of an apples and oranges aspects to it but i think that kelly shows if kelly can grow in that area he stands to make a lot of money this summer. That's and that's the other thing with Kelly Olenek is that remember this is a guy who's on the precipice of potentially a big big contract year. So it didn't work out for <laughs> for Jared Sollinger last year or the year before that, but this is an opportunity for Kelly Olenek to maybe make some bank this year. It's a tough situation to come from that the shoulder issue, but if he's able to transition from that into being who he is and maybe be a little bit more consistent offensively and show some growth defensively uh, on, you know, down low and, and really protecting the rim and or really more so grabbing rebounds, I think he could make himself a, a healthy chunk of change. Is 20 million out of the question per year for him? I don't think so. Not if he keeps shooting like he did last year. Nobody's going to care that he didn't start the season healthy and, and wasn't on the floor. Nobody's even going to care if he comes off the bench until the all-star break. At the end of the day, with a big, with a big like that, if he can show that despite physical limitations defensively, that he can play within a system, and you just pointed out, statistically, he was one of the better defenders last year, but most of that's because he did his job correctly, and he does play behind so a, a really good one through three a defensively out on the perimeter. That definitely helps mask it as well, and Brad Stevens is his coach. However, if he can show that he can play statistically well in a good team scheme, and he's shooting 40% from beyond the arc, yeah, he's going to get paid all right, and he's going to do great things for the club. So I think we might see him get make his way into that starting lineup, and it, and it might be worth it. I just I do think what is the long-term impact to Al Horford in that scenario? And then we go back to, hey, maybe there might be a trade. And if there is a trade, you're not going to just trade a bunch of guards for somebody in the front court. You are going to have to give up more than Tyler Zeller in return. And Kelly Olynyk might be the just the type of player that will uh entice another team to make that trade. You get a couple maybe a couple of the guards, it just depends on who the player is. One, maybe two of the guards, Kelly Olynyk and Tyler Zeller for salary matching and now maybe you're talking. Depending on who becomes available and if you're going to shore up the front court especially somebody to play alongside uh Al Horford. You know, again, I'm really leery of a DeMarcus Cousins, but 
boy, would that be amazing. Well, they've opened their new arena. <laughs> they've opened the new arena now. We, for two years, we've been talking about how, well, Sacramento's building this new arena, and they're not going to get rid of their big star to open the arena. Well, it's open now. And not a year, not this summer, but the following summer is when DeMarcus becomes a free agent. So if they're going to get max value, it's got to be soon. It's got to be by the trade deadline because otherwise you're going to trade him with a year left to go. Uh, that's you're not going to get a whole lot of value. If you can get a year and a half out of him before before you you make that deal, you have a better chance of getting some some serious assets. And so I think that that's probably the situation that Sacramento finds itself in. If they want to make get real value for him, if they think they're ever going to trade him, now is the time. Yep, that's uh, true. Between now and, and and the trade deadline. So I, I'm not saying this is boogie. This is the boogie show, but I'm just saying that that there. I think there's a smaller window than when we realize, and we've kind of heard that name over and over and over again. Putting him next to Al Horford. You know, maybe that, maybe that's the, the veteran leader you need to put next to him to try to settle him down. As I think a lot of people have said, the thing that's going to fix Boogie is winning. If Boogie's winning, he'll be okay. We, we've had mercurial talents here before who haven't been able to get along elsewhere. I mean, Dennis Johnson was called a cancer. Okay, before he came here. Oh, I they thought you were just going to go with Ricky Davis. Tyree <laughs> <laughs> Ricardo. Ricky Boogie's? Yeah, not exactly. I'm going to go with the two-time NBA champion. It's a Celtic and one time with uh Seattle, uh, you know, and, and future NBA Hall of Famer, Dennis Johnson. I mean, he was – no, he didn't get along with anybody when he was out of here. But when he came here and he started winning – and I'm not saying they're going to win at the same level that the Celtics of the mid-'80s were winning. But they're going to be a hell of a lot better team than his either his Kings will be or even these Celtics will be. Uh, without his, that type of talent, so well, and you, you talk about long rumored, long rumored potential trade targets. Blake Griffin's the other one who would yeah. also fit quite nicely beside uh, Al Horford. So my issue is, Demarcus Cousins has a personality concern. Blake Griffin has the injury concern risk. We'll have to just wait and see how it all plays out. Let's look at the week ahead, John, as we wrap yeah. up the show. I've, I'm, uh, I am. One and O on predictions, uh, for the Celtics having gone two and one. If I look at the week ahead, I see a rematch against the Bulls on Wednesday, another nationally televised matchup. The Bulls, at least as they sit today, are two and O, so they're undefeated. Um, the next game will be on TNT. So two nationally televised games in a row against two top Eastern, right, and it's a back-to-back against two top Eastern Conference rivals, so that's going to be the Cavs on Thursday, um, and both are 8 o'clock start times, and then next Sunday is the Nuggets game, so I said 2-1, and one. I'm going to say they go 2-1 and one again, which is going to give them that 66-6% winning percentage, I think they get their revenge against the Bulls, because I don't see how the Bulls are going to keep hitting from outside the way they did. I think Brad's going to be able to make some adjustments. They've got some time off between Saturday's game and Wednesday's game to get some practice in, work out some of the kinks. I think they definitely lose to Cleveland on the second night of a back-to-back. I think that's just too tough, especially on two nationally televised games, and I think they're going to scrap really hard against the Bulls, which is going to have them a little bit gassed against Cleveland. Then they got some time off, and they win the one against the Nuggets. So there you go. Win, loss, win. And uh, they get the revenge against the Bulls, but they do lose against the Cavs. And that sort of sets the marker. We can we can say, okay, the next time they play the Cavs, this is what we, we need to see out of this team. And they'll have Marcus Smart back by then as well, and maybe Kelly Olenek, and that will give them much more of a, a competitive advantage, especially if Kelly wants to pull uh, Kevin Love's Arm out of the shoulder, out of the socket again. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I think you're right, though. I think it's two in one week. I don't see, I don't see the Bulls beating them twice. I mean, they won at home. Everything's going for them in the world. The Celtics didn't play well. They didn't rebound. They're going to bring that renewed focus on that end to the home game, their second home game of the year, and. There'll be some applause and some some thanks for for Rajon Rondo, but I think the Bulls are going to be a team that the Celtics fans in general aren't going to like. There was a lot of chippiness at the end of that game. 
uh, on Thursday night, and I think that that's going to carry over a bit here on Wednesday. So I, I see the Celtics actually winning that one maybe a little bit bigger uh, than maybe we would have thought because it was a a fairly good Bulls win, although a little bit close. Now they're going to chip but, on their shoulder, and they're going to they have do. plenty of rest. But yeah. you want to talk about chippy games. I think the Celtics are going to, like I said, I think they're going to slide a little bit in the matchup against the Cavs. I think they're going to be gassed from the win against the Bulls. But you want to talk about chippy. They're going to go from one chippy game right into the next because there's history there. I referenced, obviously, Kelly Olynyk and Kevin Love, but then you also have the J.R. Smith, Jay Crowder kind of battle, and it's going to be spicy, dude. And I think that if the Celtics... <laughs> Spicy. Spicy, yeah. Hot tamale. I just think if they come into that game and they're a little slow because of the night before and the late, you know, matchup against the Bulls, I just think it's only going to make it even chippier because the Celtics are going to be frustrated. And Jay Crowder, when he gets frustrated, it gets chippy. It does get chippy. Yeah, I know. Bring some dip, folks. It's going to be chippy. I don't. I don't Hot know. salsa. I, It's spicy. spicy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. This is what you tune in for, folks. Uh, The uh, that's. I don't think that Cleveland game is going to go well. I don't either. I think it's going to be ugly. I'm so with you. The Cavs are. They are hitting on all cylinders. This is their team. This is you know everything's going well. Everything's coming up Cleveland right now. There, that may be coming days after a, a World Series parade, um, and maybe there'll be a hangover. Let's hope, hangover, right, Justin? Be a hangover there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a Halloween party last night. What's up? <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. So hopefully the Bulls, be, hopefully the Cavs, will be feeling like you are right now on Thursday night. Let's hope that's the case. Uh, although LeBron's a Yankees fan, so go figure. I don't think that's going to go well. The Nuggets game, I think the Celtics win going away. I don't think that's going to even be close. I think I think Denver has a good team. Love seeing Jokic out there. We love seeing Gary Harris and Moutier. We'd see, you know, I think that's going to be a fun game. But I think the Celtics win that game easy. I um, agree. Thursday is going to be a tough one. I think. I think if they if they won that game. That would be very, very impressive because I don't. If they go three and zero, they're making major noise across the I think, country. I, yeah, and I think the thing to look at is how well does the first unit compete against the the Cavs first unit. I think that's if we look at the game within. That's the, game, the preview to the postseason because that's what yeah, it's going to all be about. That's going to be a much tighter rotation. They're going to have time off in between games so that they can stay rested. Brad's Brad's going to maybe go seven, eight deep tops. In the postseason, so that's a very accurate sort of assessment as far as how high can this team go as constituted come April. Yeah, look, and, and there's no Celtics player who's LeBron James, right? I mean, there's nobody out there who's on that, who's even on that level. So, if we win the, or or maybe or even on Kyrie's level, you could argue whether or not Kevin Love is there. But as a, as a group, as a constituted group. Can they? You know, how well does, do those pieces fit? Um, what is the co- the component of adding Al Horford to the Celtics mix? How does that change how uh, how we play against? Does that pull Tristan Thompson from the from the the middle and then open things up? I mean, there's just there's a lot of questions there. Again, I want to see more small lineups. I I don't understand why we haven't seen enough of them so far. Maybe someone can explain that to me, but. And, and Jonas, you know, the second unit has gone small. Because nobody can cover the three in those small lineups the way Marcus Smart. That's the simple that, and that's basic answer. It. That's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we need more of that. I think that's and, – and, you know, the other thing is you can bring a guy like Marcus Smart back with, with his ankle, you know, being what it is when he is playing the three because he's not going to be guarding point guards in those situations. He's going to be guarding the, the lateral the quickness point. and the speed won't be quite the same. So if he yeah. loses a little bit of a step and leans on his strength, he can get away yeah. with that. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah. 
All right, well, I think that's going to do it for this week, everybody. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A big thanks to everybody for tuning in. And a reminder, you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We would love it. If you gave us a rating and a review and a reminder, today's show brought to you by Movement Watches and Audible.com. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you would be supporting Celtic Stuff Live and the CLNS Radio Network. A big thanks to the loyal audience who makes it all worthwhile and for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke. I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff. Stuff live. Celtic stuff live.